Questions and Answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Mouss. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. You are tuned to 91.3 FM. I'm your host Yasmina Peterson and this is your program Questions and Answers. Answering all of your questions right up until 7 o'clock. And doing that I do have none other than in studio Sheikh Ibrahim Moos. Sheikh assalamu alaikum to you. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullah to you uh, sister Yasmina and also to all our listeners. Sheikh Shukran once again for uh, coming into studio uh-huh. and uh, doing this program with us. To note that you can send through a question through to our SMS form. 47913. Alternatively, you can send me an email to jasmina at vocfm.ca.za. We had two questions left of last week, and that is what we're going to be looking at before we're going on to the new questions that have come in. Sheikh says, Assalamu alaikum. Why is it that Surah Tawbah does not start with Bismillah Rahman Rahim? When one recites the Surah, does one not say Bismillah even after the breaks? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillah wa sallallahu ala sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Uh, surah Tawbah, yes, is uh, uh, one of those surahs that does not have the basmala in front of it. If we open the Quran, we will see that the surah starts immediately without the words of Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim being written there. And uh, the reason for that, uh, there are many reasons. Uh, Imam al-Qurtubi rahimahullah in his tafsir had mentioned quite a few reasons. Uh, of the reasons that he mentioned was that he says that there are in fact uh, some scholars, uh, including some of the Sahaba, that had regarded the surah before it, which is Surah Al-Anfal, uh, to be uh, together with Surah Tawbah, meaning it is almost like one surah. Because if we look at the content of Surah Al-Anfal and Surah Tawbah, you will see that the content of both these surahs speaks about warfare, speaks about jihad, speaks about the uh, mushrikun that uh, obviously oppose the laws of Allah Ta'ala and uh, uh, etc. So the details around that is found in both surahs. So some had actually regarded it as one surah. Others said, no, there are two surahs, but uh, and Imam Qurtubi mentions this reason as well. And this was actually when Abdullah ibn Abbas, عنهمah, he asked Sayyidina Ali ibn Abi Talib, why is it that Bara'ah or Surah Tawbah does not have the Bismillah in front of it? And uh, he answered to say that, لِأَنَّ بِسْمِ اللَّهِ الرَّحْمَنِ الرَّحِيمِ أَمَانٌ وَبَرَاءَةٌ نَزَلَتْ بِالسَّيْفِ لَيْسَ فِيهَا أَمَانٌ That uh, the Basmalah, what does it actually entail? It entails the names of Allah. And if you say Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, the name of Allah, the most gracious, the most merciful, you are invoking the name of Allah Ta'ala, who is the most merciful and the most compassionate. But Sayyidina Ali says, but if you look at the contents of the surah, surah bara'a, you will find that it's a surah that speaks about warfare, so, and qital, and fighting, and uh, those who oppose Islam, and so on, and how to deal with them. So the two does not go together. Right, as if the basmala does not fit in with that kind of content, and that is why the surah does not have a bismillah. So the second part of the question is: Do you recite? So obviously you don't recite bismillah at the beginning of the surah, right? So when you start with that surah, you will just say "A'udhu billahi min ash-shaytanir rajim, bara'atum min Allahi wa rasuli," without saying the bismillah. If you connect the surah that is before it to it, so in other words, surah al-anfal which is uh, the surah right before surah Tawbah, if you are going to connect it with surah Tawbah, then you can do one of two things. You can either just stop at the end of surah uh, uh, Al-Anfal. Allah says, Wallahu alimun hakim. You can stop there. And then you simply start, Bara'atun. Okay? Or you can actually connect the two. 
Because remember, some regard it as one surah. So you're actually allowed to recite, Wallahu alimun hakimun baraatun. And make it as if it is one, one ayah or connect the two ayahs. All right? Uh, so those are the ways in which you do it when you connect the two surahs. Now, the last point is, if you start in the middle of the surah, and this is also the question, if you take a break, for example, hmm. and you come back and you start in the middle of the surah, at this point, the scholars say to us, there's nothing wrong now to say bismillah. Right, so now you can say "A'udhu billahi min ash-shaytanir rajim" Bismillahirrahmanirrahim, because you're not starting at the beginning of the surah. Just like you would say the basmala at any other point of the Quran, you will say "A'udhu billahi and Bismillah." This applies also when you start in the middle of surah At-Tawbah. So the only time that you don't say the Bismillah is at the beginning of surah Tawbah, because that is how it was revealed upon the Prophet sallallahu That is how Jibril came with it, without the words of Bismillahirrahmanirrahim being attached to the beginning of it and it's the only surah out of the 114 chapters of the quran it's the only chapter that does not have the bismillah in front of it shukran so much for that sheikh to note that you can send through your questions through to 47913 the voice there of sheikh ibrahim Mus, the imam at the yusufia masjid the following question reads it says what is the ruling of visiting the maghbara for a female sheikh yeah, we find that uh, in the madhab of Imam Shafi'i, um, there are uh, various views as to how the scholars had looked at this issue of females visiting the graves. Uh, Imam Nawawi in his book, Rawdatul Talibin, and I'm just going to quote him first, he says, Yustahabu lirrijal ziyaratul qubur. It is definitely recommended for men to visit the graveyards. Now we ask this question, Hal yukrahu nisa? Is it something which is disliked for women? Is it okay for them or is it disliked? He says, Wajhan, there are two approaches. There are two views in the Shafi'i school. Ahaduhuma wabihi al-akhtharun yukrah. He says, the majority say that it is makru for them to visit the graveyards. He says, Wathani, but the second view, wahuwa al-asahu inda al-ruyani. The second view, which is the more correct position according to the great scholar al-ruyani, is la yukrahu. It will not be makru. If she is able to withhold any fitna from her visitation. In other words, if, she's, if she knows how to behave and she knows how to react when she goes to a graveyard, it is not makru. This is the, the best view according to Imam al-Ruyani as quoted by Imam al-Nawawi. Uh, we find, for example, that those who say that it is uh, recommended for women to go just as it would be recommended for males to go is that the Prophet ﷺ does not make a distinction when he says, Kuntu nahaytukum an qubur ala fazuruha. In this hadith, the Prophet ﷺ says, I used to prohibit you from going to the graves, but now I permit you to go. Now those scholars who say it's permissible, they say there's no distinction here between male and female. Both can go, right? And there's further evidence also to show that females can go. One hadith is where the Prophet ﷺ saw a woman was crying at a grave, right? And he did not reprimand her. Or the only thing that he told her was, he said to her, Ittaqillaha wasbiri, right? Just have patience, have taqwa and have patience. But he did not tell her, why did you come to the grave? So they use that as an evidence. And that hadith is in Bukhari. They use it as an evidence to show that it's nothing wrong for a female to visit the grave as long as she knows how to handle herself in terms of her emotion, in terms of how she's going to be you know, carrying herself when she is in the grave. And there's a further evidence that is also cited. And Aisha, anha, she asked the Prophet, what should I say if I visit the graves? So this shows that she visit the graves 
What must I say? And the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam had actually advised her that she should say, "Assalamu ala ahli diyari min al-mu'minin wa al-muslimin. Yarhamullahu al-mustakhdimin minna wa al-mustakhirin. Wa inna insha Allah bikum lahiqun." And the hadith is authentic in Sahih Muslim. Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam said to her, "You should greet the people of the grave, and you should say, May Allah have mercy upon you. You have preceded us, but we will be following you, right? Meaning all of us will die or sooner or later. So you greet the people in that particular fashion. So the fact that Sayyidina Aisha had asked this question and the Prophet answered her without prohibiting her and saying that she cannot go, um, that shows that it is permissible. And this is the view of Imam al-Ghazali as well in the Shafi'i Mazhab. Uh, it is uh, uh, the opinion of Imam al-Ghazali. And of course, there are a hadith that it seems that it discourages women to go. There are ahadith like that as well. So in light of what we just discussed now, we will say that those ahadith which give the impression that women should not go, we will interpret those ahadith to mean that women should not go if they are not able to uh, handle themselves properly when they go to the grave. That is what those ahadith mean. So let's say because women are very emotional. So let's say a woman goes to the grave, but she shouts and she wails and she does things. So that would be haram because you must be satisfied with the decree of Allah. So those ahadith that discourages are talking in light of that, of people that go without having the proper adab of visiting the graves. But if a woman goes and visits a family and she knows that she shouldn't do that and she dresses properly and she does everything of the adab, then there is nothing wrong according to what we have quoted of the Shafi'i Madhab, inshallah, there should not be any objection. Shukran so much for that, Sheikh. On that note, we break for ads, and when we come back, we'll continue with the program. To note that you can still send through your questions through to 47913. Alternatively, you can send me an email to jasmina at vocfm.co.za. This is your program, Questions and Answers. We go for a brief break, and when we come back, we'll continue. Stay tuned. Questions and Answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Mouas. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Tune to 91.3 FM. I'm your host, Yasmina Peterson, in our program, Questions and Answers. Answering all of your questions this evening, we have in studio none other than Sheikh Ibrahim Amurs, the Imam at the Yusufiya Masjid. We can send through your questions through to 47913. You can also drop me an email, jasmina at vocfm.co.za. Some of the other questions that have come through, Sheikh says, Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh Ibrahim Amurs. Hope that you are well. I really need some advice. Vice Kanala, I have been married for over 10 years and have three beautiful kids, alhamdulillah. Now my husband has a drinking problem, or so I believe. He's been drinking ever since we got married, so I always just make dua hoping he does stop. Whenever I talk to him about it, he always says I'm right and promise he will stop. However, he only stops for a few weeks and then does the same thing again. I've been to a social worker and he went once, said he's done, but a year later, it's still the same routine I don't know what to do as I love my kids with all my heart but I feel I am at breaking point my family and friends tend to think I overreact as he work and provides well for the kids he's a good father and has a heart of gold advice Canada yeah obviously a very detailed description of the situation of this particular woman Um, Perhaps to start and say to you that those who are saying that you are overreacting because of this problem, 
um, I want to uh, assure you that you are not overreacting. This is, of course, a, a major problem. It is one of the major sins, in fact, if a person indulges in drinking. So even if he is doing everything else, he's giving nafaqa and he's giving support otherwise, he's not abiding by the laws of Allah Ta'ala in this regard, which is one of the major things. Right? Um, we know that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam had said that Allah curses a person who drinks khamr or who serves it to others or who manufactures it or a person who's involved with it in whatever way Allah Ta'ala curses such a person so you definitely are not overreacting and this is uh, a big concern and it is something that you should obviously be diligent about right we know that our Sharia uh, also strives to protect uh, certain things right and one of the things that the Sharia strives to protect is a person's intellect you're not allowed to take away your intellect and that is why a person who takes drugs or takes uh, alcohol and it takes away his mind that is haram in Islam because you are removing that which Allah wants to protect and that is why there is even a prescribed punishment in obviously a Muslim state, a Muslim country there is a prescribed punishment for somebody who indulges in intoxication right, so it is a serious crime however what I want to say to you is that I think very often we look at the symptoms but we don't really look at the root cause of where it comes from Right? You say he has been drinking for a long time and you've been taking him to counseling and things like that. Right? For me personally, I think that uh, why does a person do these things in the first place? You know, what, what makes him do it? It's because his iman is very low. His belief in Allah is low. His, his understanding of Allah Ta'ala is very low. So I believe that is the starting point. Not really the counseling and all of that. That is important. We can go to that. But I think if a person's iman is strengthened in Allah Ta'ala, then that will perhaps also steer the person away from having contact with things that are haram. And to substantiate, I will quote this hadith which the Prophet ﷺ had uh, reminded us about in Sahih al-Bukhari and Muslim, where the Prophet ﷺ says, لَا يَزْنِ الزَّانِ حِينَ يَزْنِ وَهُوَ مُؤْمِن A person will not commit zina if his iman is on a very high level mm. right a person will not steal if his iman is on a very high level a person will not indulge in drinking khamr and wine if he has a good level of iman so I think that is where you should work at you should try to get him in the spirit of being a better Muslim a better mu'min. Don't worry about the fact that he's only providing for you. That is not enough. Right? Is he making salah regularly? Is he somebody that is making dhikr to Allah daily? Is he a person that recites the Quran? You should encourage him in a beautiful way and with wisdom. And you should even go with him. Go with him to dhikr programs. Go with him to places where the Quran is being recited. Encourage the recitation of the Quran in the house. In other words, you should involve him in a subtle way. You should involve him with a lot of good things. And one of the best ways in which you come, and it's an it's a illness, obviously, it's a disease that he has, and he admits he's wrong, but he doesn't know how to get, get out of it. So besides the counseling, which you should be doing still, and you should continue with your advice giving and all of that, you should involve him with good things. And also, one of the most effective ways is to always be in good company. Be in the company of people that will be an encouragement for you. Take him out and go and go with friends that you know will encourage him to make salah, will encourage him to do the good, the right thing. And hopefully he will then be able to realize that what he is doing, he can't carry on like that. Because I can imagine for you, it can't be easy. 
to see a person in the state and he's the father of your children, etc., etc., right? So that is uh, the advice that I would give to you is not to look at the symptoms only, but look at the root cause of all of this, and that is his low levels of iman or his low levels of commitment to the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Once we rectify all of that, we will see, inshallah, it will become much more easier. And remind him about the fact that even the Sahaba, before uh, Khamar became haram, all of them had indulged in Khamar. They had all, you know, just part of their culture. But because the iman was built all the time by the Prophet ﷺ, they were prepared, right? They were doing things that were boosting their spirituality. And because they were on such a high level, when the final command actually came for them to leave off the khamr, they were so well prepared that they just left it off. They didn't think twice to leave it off because of the spirituality that they had gained in their heart uh, about the consciousness of Allah and being aware that Allah sees what we do and being aware of the fact that Allah will take account of what we do. So this is the kind of environment that needs to be created for him. And of course, you as a wife, it's difficult, but you should play that role and encourage and try your best to see what you can do to help him come out of this problem and continue to make lots of dua. You know, don't, don't undermine that. Dua is very powerful. Make dua in the middle of the night for him when you do your tahajjud. Allah is the one that uh, controls the hearts. Uh, hopefully, Allah will guide him to, to the straight path and actually keep him away from this problem that he is busy with. Shukran so much for that, Sheikh. You can SMS us your questions, 47913. Alternatively, you can send through an email to jasmina at vocfm.co.za. I'm going to be in your company up until 7 o'clock, and Sheikh Ibrahim was is in studio to answer all of your questions. But on that note, we go for a brief ad break, and when we come back, we'll continue with the program. Stay tuned. Questions and Answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Moes. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. This is your program, Questions and Answers. I'm your host, Yasmina Peterson, and in studio we have none other than Sheikh Ibrahim Moes answering all of your questions this evening. 47913 is the SMS line for you to send through your questions. It says, I've got a few questions here, Sheikh. It says, Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. Is there a period of compulsory consummation for newlyweds considering shyness? Yeah, the short and simple answer is there is no time stipulation as far as the consummation of marriage is concerned this is something that the couple themselves work out or that they are comfortable with uh, whatever amount of time they need to get to know one another and to actually uh, be intimate with one another this is completely up to them the sharia does not prescribe a time limit for it or a cut-off period for it uh, so that is entirely up to them and inshallah i leave it at that shukran so much sheikh the following question reads says here a man married two wives his first wife he divorced and his second wife died which one will meet up with him in Ahira. Yeah, it's an interesting question because we are always worried about uh, the after and how Jannah will be. Uh, and that is firstly taking uh, into consideration that inshallah we will be of the people of Jannah in the first place, right? It's not something that we can guarantee for ourselves, but if we enter Jannah inshallah, what will be the circumstances? So obviously a, a, a person who was married to a woman but he divorced her, so that means already in the in the worldly life he was no longer connected with her. So obviously in the Akhirah also he will not be connected to her if he was not connected to her in the dunya because he had already severed his relationship with her but in the akhirah of course if a woman 
was married and he remained married to her and she died then of course Allah Ta'ala will possibly give him the chance to be reunited with her and again that is on the assumption that she is of the people of Jannah and he is of the people of Jannah we can't guarantee that uh, and this goes for uh, some people ask also what if a woman was never married for example hmm. and we know often that um, you know the Quran and uh, also people they like to speak about what the men will be getting and the Hurun'ayn and all of that and it also always seems that it's only for the males and not for the females uh, the reality is that uh, both males and females they will get whatever Allah Ta'ala has promised them it is not only for the males right and one verse that clarifies this is Surah An-Nisa chapter 4 verse 124 where Allah Ta'ala says those who do good deeds whether they are male or female and they are believers in Allah Ta'ala Allah will enter them into paradise and will not oppress them in the least meaning whatever you deserve to get that is what you will get Allah will give you and uh, there's a verse in the Quran that also shows so even if a woman was not married in the dunya but in the akhirah inshallah if Allah so happens to decree for her to enter Jannah she will get in Jannah whatever she wants whatever she desires for if it is a husband that she never had in the dunya but she now wants a husband in the akhirah then Allah will give her that because in the Quran Allah Ta'ala explains to us in Surah Al-Zukhruf uh, verse 71 Allah says and in it you will have whatever your soul desires Whatever your soul wants, whatever you uh, have a desire for, Allah Ta'ala will make it a reality. Everything that brings joy to the eyes and comfort to the eyes will be given to you in Jannah. Right? So this goes for both males and females. So a woman and a man, if they are decreed to be of the people of Jannah, then they will have whatever they have, uh, whatever they desire. Uh, so inshallah, uh, this question, so the person who was married to his wife and his wife actually passed away while he was still married to her, there is uh, obviously a great possibility that they can be reunited in, in the Akhirah. Shukran so much for that, Sheikh. We've got a minute left before we go for an ad break. And yeah, I want to say that you can send through your questions through to 47913. Alternatively, you can send me an email to jasmina at vocfm.co.za. Sheikh Ibrahim Moos is in studio to answer all of your questions this evening. But for now, we go for a brief ad break. And when we come back, we'll continue with answering more of your questions that has come through on the SMS line 47913. We're back right after this questions and answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Moos Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh 91.3 FM that is what you tuned to this is your program questions and answers and answering all of your questions this evening we have Sheikh Ibrahim Moos in the studio and you can send through your questions through to the SMS 47913 Sheikh the following question reads Assalamu alaikum I follow the Shafi Madhab if I find myself about to miss making the word Salah within Shafi time can I still make it before the Hanafi Asr time starts as per the Salah time calendar yeah as we know the a difference uh, in the times in terms of the Shafi'i and the Hanafi madhabs especially for the waqt of uh, Dhuhr, the end of the waqt of Dhuhr and the beginning of the waqt of Asr. The waqt of Asr according to the Hanafi madhab is slightly later than that of the Shafi'i madhab. So the person is asking can he make taqlid of the Hanafi madhab if he's a Shafi'i but he feels he's late so he doesn't want to make it qada'an we will say to you that yes if, if this is really a pressing situation and there's nothing else you can do about it then you can make your salah 
ta'ala on the basis that the waqt is still in according to the Hanafi school of thought. Uh, but according to the Shafi'i, obviously that salah would have been qada'an. So the best is if you are able to, even if it is only a few minutes before the end of the time, before the end of the according to the Shafi'i time, if you can do it uh, then, then obviously that would be best because it's always best to stay out of the uh, ikhtilaf or the difference of opinion because in this case it's a matter of it being valid in the one school and not valid in the other. So it's always best to stay above board as far as the schools are concerned and the madahib are concerned. So if you are not in a pressing situation, you should not be easy on yourself and just say, well, there is still some time, I will just do it you know, later because the Hanafis allow it. No, you should, you should be more uh, stricter on yourself and try to do it within the prescribed Shafi'i time. But if it's a pressing situation where it's really beyond your control, then inshallah, you can then follow that particular time uh, slots as, as the calendar indicates uh, the, the later Asr time. In other words, you can ascribe to that. Uh, but just to mention also, even the Hanafi Madhab itself, the view uh, that says that Asr is later than the normal Shafi'i time, this is not a view that is even agreed upon even in the Hanafi Madhab. Because we find that Abu Hanifa, he has this view that Asr is later, whereas these two, two main students, Abu Yusuf and Muhammad, the two main students of Abu Hanifa, they don't agree with their, with their Imam. In fact, their view is that the Asr begins at the same time that it begins for the Shafi'is. They agree with the Shafi'is on this particular point. And that shows that because of the difference of opinion, it is always best for you to be safe rather than to delay it unnecessarily. But if you really cannot and it's really against you and you've tried everything, inshallah, your salah will then be correct according to the Hanafi times, uh, which is a later time for the waqt of, of Asr. Shukran so much for that, Sheikh. The following question reads, says, Salam, Sheikh, at what age does Sharia say a mother's duty stop towards her children if she's married and does she need to leave her husband to look after her kids if the kids is around the age of 25 and older? Yeah, well, 25 is no longer a kid as far as I know. I mean, 25 <laughs> is an adult. So uh, certainly not. You don't need to you know, give up your time that you spend with your husband in order to look uh, after big adults uh, the age of 25 and like that. And I think this is a problem because a lot of uh, children or or people of that age, they think because their mother's still around and they still may be in the house, they feel that their mother must still do everything for them. Even though they're already 25 or over, they're already big people. Right? You should actually give your mother a break. If you are an adult person, do things for yourself and don't rely just on your mother to do everything for you, uh, but rather give her that space, especially if she now remarried uh, and she needs to spend time with her husband, give her that, right? You owe her that. In fact, she'd spend uh, most part of your uh, beginning stages of your life she spent with you, rearing you, educating you, and so on. So it's time for you to give her that space. So the mother's responsibility does not go beyond uh, when the child is able to look after themselves, when they become mukal love and they can stand on their two own two feet and they can fend for themselves uh, at that particular stage uh, it is up to them to look after themselves and not to depend everything on the mother and I know of this, uh, many situations like this as I said people are not married they live in the house they're already over 20 but the mother must still do everything for them you know wash their clothing they must still uh, iron their clothes if the mother wants to do it out of her kindness there's nothing wrong she can do it but I don't think it's right for big people like that to demand their mothers to do it especially sometimes the mothers are even elderly Right, but they still demand because it's the mother's. Or for them, it's like almost this is the mother's duty. They must just do it. Okay, it's not correct. If you are an adult, you should look after yourself and not put all the strain on your mother. Uh, if your mother wants to do it out of her love and out of her own care for you, she is at liberty to do that. But she should not be forced to actually do things for uh, people of this age, and she should be given her space. That I feel is the correct uh, answer 
to this particular issue. Shukran so much, Sheikh. The following question reads, Assalamu alaikum. I do get my boss's office to make duer, but I don't make it for asr when I get home. Can I make the two walks together when I make duer and just make in time for maghrib? Shukran. Yeah, unfortunately, the, the issue of uh, jam salah is the bringing together of two walks. It's only done under very, very special circumstances. The Sharia only permits us to do it under very, very specific circumstances. And one such circumstance is if a person is on traveling, for example, uh, another one is, according to some scholars, is if a person is in a state of severe illness, then you may also bring two walks together. But uh, in normal everyday circumstances, we are not allowed to make jam salah because Allah says very clearly to us in the Quran, in Surah An-Nisa, "Inna salata kanat al-mu'minina kitaban mawkuta." Verily, the salah has been prescribed upon the believers in very specific times. So we are not allowed to go against those times. So in this case, what you should do is you should try your best as far as you can to make your asr uh, in the prescribed time and remember you can do it from the time of asr right up until the adhan of maghrib so if you come at home and there's even five minutes left before maghrib and you can t- t- quickly take your wudu and make your asr then inshallah that will be accepted as being a salah done in its time uh, if on the other hand you try your absolute best but you cannot make it in time inshallah i believe allah ta'ala won't take you to task for it because allah ta'ala says la yukallifullahu nafsan illa usaha allah does not place a burden on a person that is more than what he or she can can carry so allah ta'ala understands your circumstances but you must also be honest with yourself you must try your best of course to do things properly if you really cannot as i say allah ta'ala hopefully will overlook that shortcoming of yours but bringing salahs together on a daily basis for ordinary circumstances this is not something which the sharia permits us to do Shukran so much for that, Sheikh. The number to SMS3 is 47913, where you can send through your questions, and Sheikh will be answering all of your questions right here in studio. For now, we break for Azza. When we come back, we'll continue with the program as well as wrap it up. Stay tuned. Questions and answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Mouas. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh 91.3 FM that is what you tune to 47913 is what the SMS line is where you can send through your questions Sheikh Ibrahim Moos is in studio answering all of your questions this evening Sheikh the following question reads Assalamu alaikum Sheikh spoke the last program about trading your currency to gold I wanted to know can the currency be changed to gold overseas or only in your own country yeah maybe just to clarify um, I did not specifically mention that your currency should be traded for gold but what I was mentioning when I when somebody asked about uh, trading in currency foreign currency I mentioned that we will apply the same rules as we apply when we are trading in gold okay that is what I said so in other words the the, the, the currency that we have in front of us it's supposed to be a representation of the gold that is in the reserves of the banks of that particular country so when we trade in gold for example there are certain stipulations in the sharia that must be abided by okay so what i was saying is when you trade in currency those same stipulations must also apply and all the stipulations is that when you trade gold for gold or you trade gold for silver like that then it must be that there must be no delay in payment of either one of the exchanges it must be done in the same sitting 
right? You can't accept the one, the one side of the deal now and give the other person his exchange at a later time. It must be done instantaneously. This is one of the rules of trading gold for gold or gold for, for silver. But as far as this question is concerned, I don't know if the person just wants to know as a matter of interest, uh, are you able to change your currency into gold in other countries? Well, this is not a Sharia question then. It's just uh, a question that you need to ask somebody that knows about uh, that particular currency in that country. In our country, for example, you can buy gold coins if you like. Right? You can go to the gold exchange or the gold coin shop and you can actually give them money and they can give you a Krugerrand or they can give you half a Krugerrand. You can exchange your money for gold and you can actually have gold with you. So I'm pretty sure that the same applies in many other countries as well. I know in Saudi Arabia, for example, you can also buy gold coins. So if that is the question, the answer to that obviously is quite clear. But I think I just need to clarify that. I did not say that you have to change it to gold first and then trade with it. I mentioned that the same rulings will apply as if you are trading gold with gold. Mm. That is what will apply when you are trading foreign currency. So you must read up on the laws of trading gold with gold or gold with silver. As I said, one of the stipulations is it must be instantaneous. You cannot have a payment done later for that exchange between two currencies simply because it is a, uh, a similar circumstance with gold and silver and that is one of the stipulations. Shukran so much. 47913 is the number to SMS. The volume question reads as follows. Says, Assalamualaikum. If we have almost 3,000 judge leaving for Hajj every year and they are paying dumb. Can this slaughter happen locally and be distributed locally amongst the poor and needy? Yeah, the dumb that is paid by the Hujjaj is obviously very specific uh, for the specific reason of Hajj that they are performing, uh, especially the Hujjaj that goes in the method of Tamattu'. And Tamattu' is a very specific method of Hajj where you apply your Ihram uh, at the first instance when you enter the, uh, the, the, the sacred area, you then perform your Umrah and once your Umrah is done you then wait for the days of Hajj to appear and when those days come you will go back into Ihram and because of that enjoyment period of ordinary clothing in between you give a dam and this is a dam of Tamattu'. All the stipulations of the dam is that it must be done in the area of the Haram. You cannot do it beyond the area of the Haram. Uh, a quotation of al khatib al-Sharbini in his book Mughni al-Muhtaj he says وَيَخْتَصُّ ذَبْحُهُ بِأَيِّ مَكَانٍ بِالْحَرَمِ فِي الْأَظْهَرِ لِقَوْلِ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى هَدْيًا Al-Khatiba Sharbini says in his book that it is very specific, the slaughtering of this animal as a dam, it must be done in any area which is the surrounds of the haram. Okay, that is the stipulation. Because Allah Ta'ala mentions it in Surah Al-Ma'idah that it must have uh, reached the precincts of the Kaaba. That is where it must be distributed. Now I think maybe this person is asking this question because they may be thinking that there's more poor people here and why should we be slaughtering it there? The reality is uh, many people don't know that, that there's lots of poor people over there as well. Right? When we see Saudi Arabia, we see we think everybody's wealthy. Well, everybody's not wealthy. You'll find very, very impoverished areas even over there. Okay? And this is one of the stipulations of this dam that it must be given to the poor people that resides in and around the haram area. Okay? That is the stipulation of that particular dam. As for any other type of udhiya or like that, obviously that you can do locally and distribute it locally as well. Shukran so much for that, Sheikh. The following question reads, it says, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. I would like to know if elusive words such as, I don't want this marriage, or I have no intention to reconcile, and I'm done, move on with your life, does this validate a divorce or talaq? Shukran. Yeah, elusive words or indirect words uh, do not uh, automatically constitute talaq. But it could possibly constitute talaq. Um, and so how would we know? We will obviously ask the person who uttered 
those words what his intention was, right? So if a person says to his wife uh, words like this, I don't want this marriage, or I don't want to reconcile, or I'm done with you, or move out, or move on, or go to your mother, or, or things like that, uh, it's not an automatic uh, form of divorce, but it may be uh, a form of divorce if clarification is given. So in such a case, the imam or any person in charge will ask this person, when you uttered those words, what did you mean by it? Perhaps he will say, well, I only meant to scare her or only meant to her to, to, to tell her how serious I am in terms of the, the trouble that we have. In that case, it is not divorce. But let's say he says to the imam, no, when I said to her, I'm done and all of that, in my mind, my intention was actually to divorce her. So the imam will say to him, if that was your intention, then that divorce is valid, right? It is valid and the laws of divorce will apply immediately. Uh, the other form of talaq is obviously the one that is more explicit. In Arabic, we call it sarih. Sarih means if a person clearly states to his wife, I divorce you or I talaq you, right? In that case, there is no interpretation needed. There's no intention needed because the words are crystal clear what the person is intending to do. So in such a case, it is automatic, right? You don't need to seek further clarification if a person utters those kinds of words. But the examples given here are all indirect and unclear words. So we first need to seek clarity from the husband and ask him why he had uttered those words. And if clarity is given to either side, whether he meant divorce or not, that will obviously then indicate to us whether that divorce is valid or not. Shukran so much for that, Sheikh. And then the following question is as follows. It says, Salam, Sheikh. Please explain if you must perform Salah when your water breaks. For example, if your water breaks at 5 a.m. the morning, but I only gave birth the following morning at 2, must I perform the day's Salah? Yes, you must still continue with your Salah because the water that breaks is obviously not part of what we call the pre, uh, the postnatal blood that comes after childbirth. We know obviously at that point when the child is born, there's a postnatal blood that, that, uh, that exits. Uh, from that point onwards, the Salah stops. But anything before that, uh, this, this it's normal circumstances so even that uh, water that comes down it does not uh, require for you to leave off the salah but we'll treat it as if something exited your body so obviously it will invalidate your hudu you will have to renew your hudu etc and take hudu again uh, in order to make salah so the quick answer is yes obviously that day in which the water broke but you only gave birth the following day so in that day you were still clean in other words there was no blood that was spotted there was no postnatal bleeding that was experienced so in that particular case you are still uh, pretty normal as far as you are your salah is concerned of course in that state you can make salah in whatever way you can because of your difficulty of going into sujood and all that we all know you can make salah sitting and whatever is comfortable for you but the salah does not fall away under those circumstances shukran so much Sheikh. and on that note we've come to the end of the program Sheikh shukran once again for coming into studio and answering all of these questions as well as to everyone sitting through the questions to all the questions which we did not get chance to look at we will definitely be addressing those questions next week saturday same time same place from myself yasmina as well as sheikh ibrahim in studio we bid you assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh questions and answers with sheikh ibrahim was